You're listening to the Texian Review, a podcast with ideas as big as Texas. I'm Kate. And I'm Evie. And thanks for listening in. You know, Evie, I grew up watching Westerns with my dad. I remember watching old reruns of Zorro for hours, way past my bedtime. There's nothing like a Western. The Wild West, miles on horseback, shootouts, saloons, heated disputes, all of those things, you know, we don't really have in 2020. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially if you're a Texan. I mean, the West and Texas are just absolutely synonymous. You know how many times I've been asked if I rode a horse to elementary school? Probably like every day. Way too many. You went to college in California. So yes, that's very true. Well, this episode, I have Texas author Chris Mullen here to talk about his book, Rowdy, Wild, Keen, Sharp, and Mean. Rowdy has won the, it is the 2020 winner for Westerns and the American Fiction Awards. And thank you so much for joining us today, Chris. It's my pleasure. I would like to say it's wild and mean, sharp and keen. Oh, I am okay. so sorry. No problem. I have a, my bad. Anyway, <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about your background and what led to you writing Rowdy? Absolutely. So um, I guess we can go all the way back uh, when I was a kid, too. I was very fascinated with Westerns. Um, my dad would tell me Western stories all the time based on books that he read, Louis L'Amour, Zane Gray. But um, part of probably some of the most favorite things I did was watch those Western movies, John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, Jimmy Stewart, some of those old ones, right? So um, getting up on Sunday morning, watching those shows really put me out west with those guys. And I was like, I am there with them. I'm shooting up the terrain. I'm riding my horse <laughs> and I'm on, on my way. So That's fantastic. Yeah. I love, I don't know, I can't tell you how many times I've watched True Grit. The old one and the new one. Big Jake. That's the way, that's where it's at. So good. Tell me about your process of coming up with Rowdy, the book, the characters, this plot line. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it, it's been very transformative over the last, I'm going to almost say 20 years. Um, I was a kindergarten teacher for a very long time. And at the end of the day, we would have um, a few minutes at the end of the day to kind of pack up, get ready to go. And inevitably, um, my kids were like, I'm out of here. Let's, let's get the backpacks on and sit down. Now, what do we do? So we started filling the time with story time. And just lo and behold, Rowdy was born during a kindergarten story time um, afternoon. Um, the kids asked for it the next day, and it just kind of rolled into all these different adventures that Rowdy would take. Uh, over the years, we told many tales going out west, heading to the mountains, where did Rowdy come from, tales on the Mississippi River. And it just felt like after about 10 years of telling these stories, I owed it to Rowdy to put it on paper. And so in 2011, I started writing and, you know, you might be thinking that's nine years for one novel. I mean, come on, <laughs> what's the deal with that? But, you know, for me, it was important to be a dad first. Um, I was also a teacher still, and those things were very important and took up a very long time, uh, a good amount of my day. And finding times to write was difficult um, between soccer practices and theater rehearsals and you know, events for the kids and family functions, it was it was nearly impossible unless, you know, you started writing at 10 o'clock at night, which I would do. Um, the problem with that is I get so enveloped in the writing that all of a sudden I look up at the clock and now it's two, three o'clock in the morning and I got to <laughs> right. be up at work in four hours. So I would write in the car. I would write at the, uh, there was plenty of times I was at IHOP late at night writing while I was waiting for my kids to finish theater rehearsal or if they wanted to go hang out with their friends, that's fine. Great. That gives me a, a section of time to edit or write or move on with the story. So um, anyhow, over the course of those many years, it, it uh, developed from a story that I would be sufficiently acceptable for a kindergarten age kid 
into a adventurous Western that would be a young adult and up. Um, I got too excited about the, the fight scenes and the gun battles and the descriptions of such that um, it's not something that a kindergartner would want to <laughs> be told at this point, but it just seemed more exciting and more natural to tell it in a traditional Western uh, story. Um, some people have called it an adventure story, a coming-of-age story set in a Western theme, and I get that, but um, it, as the story goes on and the trilogy continues, because it will be end up being a trilogy with some other offshoot stories, um, it, it really is they're very much a Western and um, an adventure story that, so I think this story kind of puts Rowdy in a new light. The fact that this was kind of developed in a kindergarten classroom and with your with your boys. I think that's really interesting because one of the attractive things about Rowdy is the character that he develops as a man. I mean, it's really a, a growth story Absolutely. of a traumatized boy becoming a cowboy-like man who lives by the code and yeah. he develops his code. And Absolutely. It's, it's the story of him developing his code. And so how do you... How much of that do you attribute to the fact that you were literally developing this with children and trying to impart these morals and values into them? How much of that shows up in Rowdy? Yeah, I think it shows up uh, completely, to be honest with you. I wanted a character that sh that always made the right decisions, that when he had to trust somebody or had to, had to reach out to somebody else, he was making that good connection, that correct connection, because um, it's important to know who to trust. It's important to know... Um, that the people you're with, you can count on them just as much as they count on you. And for for the little ones, you know, it was all about making the right choices. Um, as as you get, as Rowdy developed as he was a teenager, you know, especially thrust into the world on his own. I mean, this was not a planned event. This was an attack on his house that left him, an, you know, a 13 year old orphan essentially. Um, kind of like, what do I do next? Where do I go? Uh, there's at one point um, in the story where he's faced with the decision of being turned over to the, uh, to the marshal in St. Louis or sticking on, sticking on board um, the, uh, the riverboat and working with Captain Hennessy and Max. So he's got to figure out, man, what, what really do I need to do here? So the relationships he builds, the relationships that we build with people are very important. And you've got to be able to make good choices in those relationships in order for them to be successful. Yeah, I, I can absolutely see that in Rowdy. And for those of you who haven't had the opportunity to read Rowdy, um, a brief description of the book is that um, this this boy's father and brother die in a house fire. And it's the story of him making his way across the country. And I think bumps might be a bit of an understatement of what he runs into in some places. But eventually he makes his way to New Mexico. And that's where the story ends with him making essentially a great moral stand for his code and how he lives. Um, and it's 250 pages? Yeah, 250 hardback pages. Yes. Yeah, of of this adventure. So um, I think Kansas plays a really important role in the book as well. Right, so he, he does. He, the, it's written, if, if I may, he's, it's written in flashback, actually. Okay. And so um, it starts off with him in Lincoln, New Mexico, in a very brief prologue, just introducing him, himself, uh, his dog, and um, his buddy Robertson. And they're trying to go on a hunting trip. Um, but they are delayed because of a huge thunderstorm that rolls in. And so um, it's during this first thunderstorm that he, you know, sees the, the spatterings of water on the window, the, the puddles going outside, the thunder, the lightning, bring him back to the memory on the river when he was involved in a huge thunderstorm there, which was actually the cause of his coming into Mac and um, Captain Hennessy's presence. Um, so anyway, the first part, like I said, was on the Mississippi River, 
transforms to Dodge City and then to Lincoln, New Mexico. Um, Dodge City was a rough place. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there was <laughs> there was definitely um, a lot going on back then. You know, it, it boomed up uh, from gosh near nothing to one of the biggest um, kind of hubs for cattle trade and just it, I'm not gonna say it grew overnight, but it it really popped up. And lots of people started coming in there. Lots of different kind of people, unsavory characters, people wanting to make money, and so that was that was a big part. I try to keep the story kind of historically to geographic geographic locations, but not necessarily to events or people, um, because it is a fictional story, and I wanted to have some liberties with that. Not to mention, you've like for instance in Dodge City, you've got the, you know the gunfight at OK Corral. Well, you know, did that happen while Rowdy was there? Let you imagine that. I, mm-hmm. I would rather I would rather leave that to the reader. When did it happen? And then, you know, on the flip side of that, when he does get to Lincoln, New Mexico, you've got Lincoln County Wars, Billy the Kid. When did that happen? Um, when were the forts open? When did they close? So it's just one of the deal, one of those deals where I wanted to leave it to the reader to kind of place themselves in that time period, yeah. um, and kind of decide for themselves where he was. So, if you had to summarize the key theme or the message of the book. Because there's multiple lessons that Rowdy learns. It's not as if he, it's a pretty dynamic book in the sense that he is growing up as he's progressing, well, I guess through these flashbacks, but as he's progressing across the West, eventually ending in, in New Mexico and developing his code, he doesn't start out that way. I mean, this is something that's kind of hard earned. I have to ask you, what is the ultimate lesson of Rowdy? I mean, this is book one of what will be a multi-book series. So at the end of book one, Rowdy has, through flashbacks, brought us, the reader, from his childhood, his traumatic childhood, it, through his growing up process, which ultimately ends up in New Mexico. What is the lesson of Rowdy's code at this point? What's the code that Rowdy lives by? Yeah, Rowdy needs to make the right decision for him every time, no matter the consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, that involves, do I stand up for person X over here? Do I get involved or do I let them kind of handle their own business. Um, living life for others um, becomes his way is a big um, proponent of this story. Uh, you know, when when he was younger, he literally had to stand up for himself. But as he gets older, he has to learn, when when do I stand up for the other person? You know, he's by himself, and he's he's really got to figure out who he can latch on to, but not necessarily who he needs to use as a crutch. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I just went in a really weird way there. I apologize. <laughs> No, that's okay. I mean, that's one of the fun things about this is that you can interpret things, you know, differently every time you think about it or read, read it. That's one of the things I think makes a really good book is that because I'm a person that I reread books all the time. And then every time I reread a book, I find new ideas, all kinds of new things within that book. I think that's what makes it extra good. Well, and Okay, I'm fascinated by the development of Rowdy now that I know this was essentially developed in a kindergarten classroom. I mean, to me, that's the coolest thing about this book. So can you give us some stories maybe from how the kindergarten, like how your students responded to Rowdy? Oh, yeah. So like some real life examples, basically. Yeah, they loved it. Matter of fact, you know, we would have a rodeo themed unit every year. And um, one of the things we really liked to do in the classroom was was sing and be silly and dance mm-hmm. and whatnot. And they're like, Mr. Mullen, Mr. Mullen, Rowdy needs a song. So I, I, <laughs> I play guitar. So we pulled it, pulled out the guitar and just some strumming some simple chords. We started making them this little little Rowdy song. And 
Rowdy the Rodeo Cowboy, you know. And so as a kindergartner, it's fun to it's fun to um, sing and dance and be silly. And I think that's part of the reason why I was so drawn to kindergarten as well. It's such an important age. It's a very um, impressionable age. But for me, having a classroom of kids that love to learn, that love to be silly, who aren't afraid to stand up in front of others and talk and act and um, deliver, um, whether it's a silly message or information, was really important to me in the development of a kid. And so we would we would write these original little stories. We would make these little little original movies. But um, but yeah, we would we would sometimes act out the stories in class, which was fun. They they run over to the theater, then get the cowboy hats, and and uh, one person would be rowdy, and one person would be you know either Patrick Byrne or would be the bad guy or you know or, or whatever scene they were doing. So that was uh, that was a lot of fun. So I'm I have a son who's in kindergarten now, and I'm just thinking how much he would love something like this. I mean. I read your bio before you came in here, so I happen to know you were a very good kindergarten teacher and an award-winning, in fact, kindergarten yep. teacher, and you can see why. I mean, you developed an entire book off of a decade with kindergartners. So is there an instance where you had an idea for Rowdy in your head, and then when it played out in class, you changed that idea of Rowdy for the book? Um, I don't know that that really ever happened because we would we would tell stories. I would always start off with the theme. I would talk to them about, you know, where did Rowdy, where did he come from? How did he get the horse? Um, where did he get the, the certain things he had along the way? And initially, uh, the Rowdy stories wanted to kind of bridge the supernatural gap mm-hmm. as well. Um, I, I didn't write it that way in, in the novel, but there there were many, um, there's one story in particular where Rowdy actually goes into the spirit world into a, um, and he's basically thrust in the middle of this battle between two two tribes that are warring each other um, in the afterlife, right? Mm-hmm. But he has to, he's, it's, it's really hokey, but he's got to, um, he's got to save the Indian princess from side A that has captured her to get her back to the other side. Um, and in doing so, also retrieve this magical arrow that uh, is the root of this, you know, problem um, between the two warring tribes. And so it's the kind of thing where if you're a little kid and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're imagining all these deals, being able to follow along a story in a, in a kind of a supernatural kind of fun way was just a different direction that Rowdy took that I never put in the stories because if, mm-hmm. let's put it this way, if my dad and we talked about growing up with our parents reading the old Westerns and stuff like that, I wanted to appeal to more than just a child age group of, of readers. So that's why those were left out. But um, yeah, there was many, many stories about that. There was a time when Rowdy and Robertson are on the Rio Grande River and they're battling the giant catfish. And by giant catfish, I mean the kind of catfish that pulls him in the water. And now he's wrapped the, the, the string around the thing's neck and he's actually literally riding it around the water, dives underwater and goes under into these underground caverns. And they find these old caverns and runways, which leads them to gold mines and fun stories like that. We go in all sorts of directions for Um times when he would go into the the mountains and go gold mining and, and he would he would come across another stranger and the stranger was getting you know he was having problems with a, a you know the richer prospectors because he had that that one strand of mine that was like the the one thread that had the really good you know opportunity to find gold and it was in the middle of everything else and the bad guys wanted to get it and so now Rowdy's obligated to help this guy out I mean those are stories that haven't hit any pages that those are stories that uh, were just told in class and kids would come in with ideas hey what about a girl we can put a girl in the story and all the boys would be like no no girls (laughs) (laughs) but you know in in this story honestly there's there's really not a, a huge girl presence it's a, it's a story, though, that I think many young girls can learn the lessons of, too, mm-hmm. as far as growing up, making good choices, who 
who, who, who do you trust? Who do you don't trust? And I know that a lot of feedback I've gotten too is the horse aspect. Um, for me, it was it's interesting. The perspectives, like you said earlier, that you can get from reading a book. But, but for me, it was about the action, the adventure, about this kid growing up on his own, um, learning, learning to become a man. And um, one thing I failed to mention earlier is when you asked about, you know, kind of the, the whole theme behind the book. Um, and it's this, it's, he goes through the story thinking about some words that his dead father has told him. And it kind of, I don't say haunts him, but it echoes and reverberates in the back of his mind pretty much constantly. And it's this, it says, a man acts like one because he has to. A boy acts like one when he wants to. What are you? And so the, essentially, when you're faced with, with a situation, are you going to handle it like a grown-up? Are you going to be the little kid about it and just kind of, you know, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, you can take that in any can take that lesson to any aspect of your life, you know, about your job, about your playmate with your, you know, person next door. It's just the, the whole idea of we need to act like a grown up. We need to be mature about things. So that was something that he was, he had to grow up way too fast in order to, you know, kind of make that his life. I, I almost like that there's not a strong female presence in the book because we don't have a lot of books specifically directed towards boys, young men and boys about what it means to be a man and, and growing up into a man. And I think, you know, in the education world, you can go out to our education section in the bookstore right now, and you'll find a lot of books that are very clearly geared towards girls. Mm-hmm. And they're very, in school, there's a lot of criticism about this right now, that school is geared towards girls, towards girls' natural inclinations. They're, they sit still longer. I can see this in my own kids. I have a son and a daughter. My son cannot sit still. I mean, just cannot. <laughs> he would escape. If you could tie him up, and he'd still escape mm-hmm. it. And um, that doesn't mean he's not paying attention. It just means that he's, you know, a, a little boy. And, and I think in a lot of academic areas, there has been discussion of kind of in, in bringing up girls and elevating their status in society. Part of how we're doing that is kind of by bringing boys down. And there's some negative ramifications to that. And, and one of them is that boys don't have great role models, and, they, and especially in the arts. They don't have good role models. So I like that there's not the strong female presence because it's okay to have a book that's really directed um, and about a boy's experience because it is a little bit different than a girl's experience. Can yep. you talk to that at all? No, I mean, you're right, especially in this in this time frame. Um, you know, you wouldn't really find a girl living on their own out in the West doing the things that Rowdy does, you know, fighting river pirates and whatnot. It would be, it would be a completely different situation. Um, you know, it's... It, it, it's unfortunate today that the role models we think we have sometimes turn out to be the role models we wish we never had. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. And, yeah. and uh, a guy like Rowdy, you know, he, he is the one character that I wanted my kids to look up to in class. See him face the problems, the situations he's in, and then make the right choice. And a matter of fact, with one of the stories that I did tell them, when Rowdy has this conf- conflict with, with the rancher over his horse, um, in the book it's handled way, way different, but in the story we told in the classroom, the, um, the problem was going to be solved through a horse race. And so Rowdy agreed to race one of Patrick Burns' men and that the outcome of the race, if Rowdy lost, his horse goes back to, uh, to the rancher. If he wins, though, Rowdy was going to be given this ranch out way out west is what I always said. You know, we want to be very obscure about where it actually is. And so they they set off on this race. Well, Rowdy's horse, just to give you a little bit of feedback or not feedback, but background. He got the horse from Patrick Byrne as a very sick, um, uncared for, malnourished animal. And 
how he got that way is kind of a mystery, but, but he went out to the ranch and was able to basically talk his way into getting this horse given to him and really basically saving us the horse's life. Right. So, but with any animal, you know, time, attention, care, you're going to see the animal improve, right? Not to mention the relationship you build with, with that, with that animal. So, a short time later, you know, he's cared for this this horse. He's he's he started out by just walking it, then he would trot with it, then he would they would run with it. It developed into the fastest horse in the region, and so this is the reason why Burn now wants it back. And he's not the kind of guy that says, "Okay, you know, I'll just buy it back from you." Oh, I just made a mistake. No, he's the, I'm going to take it from you because really it's mine anyway. And so this horse race happens. So during the horse race, they decided that we're going to set up traps for for Rowdy throughout the race and to, to make sure to ensure that Patrick Byrne wins the race. So Roddy's too smart for this. The horse is too smart for this is able to circumvent all the little, you know, trappings or, you know, ride around the guys that are trying to spook it. And it comes down to the very end. Then Roddy's in the lead. He's racing towards the finish line. And the last hurdle that he's got to get past is one of the um, bad guys, ranchers throws out a bag in the middle of the, uh, the track and uh, out slither rattlesnakes that would startle lots of different horses, right? If you, mm-hmm. But Delilah, she's 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 too tough for that, right? She just hurdles over it and goes on, no problem. Rowdy's right there getting ready to run run, and run across the finish line. When the rider that's racing against him, horse sees the rattlesnakes and rears up, falls to the ground, rolls over on the rider, breaks his leg, and runs off. Now that rider's on the ground, faced by these rattlesnakes, surely going to get bit and, you know, potentially killed. So Rowdy pulls a Lightning McQueen. <laughs> he, he does. He rears up, you know, doesn't go across the finish line, flips it around, runs back with, with Delilah and, and, and saves this guy from the rattlesnakes. Why would he do that? He doesn't know this guy. He doesn't, you know, this guy's trying to beat him because it's the right thing to do, helping out somebody in need. And so he goes back, helps the guy Goes across the finish line and all, you know automatically Burns like nope nope you didn't win it's not not fair lovely you know he's doing all the things he can to make it go the other way and luckily for Rowdy they had some witnesses there the local town sheriff was there and says no this is what happened you need to hold true to your deal and so sure enough Burn and, and the classroom story holds through to his deal and, and Rowdy's on his way he's like I got to get out of town because I don't want anybody to change his mind so um that's kind of a a different different way that I, I've lost track of the question already I just started talking too much <laughs> no, that's okay. it's super cool to hear the development yeah. of Rowdy and these stories because I, this is a really unique um, development story for a book I think to to develop this with your kids and and then with your students over a decade how neat I mean that's just that's so cool and like I said it gives her I think it gives the story and it gives the character of Rowdy a lot of depth that you know, he is a moral instruction for kindergartners originally, and, originally, and he's, yeah. he's grown into this this literary character, and there's going to be multiple books in the series. And, I mean, it, it's stories like that that I think really attract an audience to a book. And and I'm, su- I think I'm it's super really excited. Cool. I'm super excited. You know, um, it, it's been a very different journey for me since July, if I can throw this in there real quick. You know, I was a teacher for 23 years. You're right. I did win an award last year, and so dare I say going out with a bang was really what I was planning on doing. No, not, not in the least, but you know, and, and then we had COVID we had to deal with, you know, we had to, I had to turn and turn and I actually was teaching pre-K at this point, um, turn the classroom into a distance classroom. What do you do distance teaching for a pre-K classroom? Right. You distance know, teaching pre-K is very, is very challenge. challenging. I, I won't go into that, but what I'm, what I'm trying to say is this summer, everything just kind of fell into the right place. Uh, we published the book, um, I've got some some neat little local press and things just started getting going. Right. And so um, middle of the summer, I had to make this decision of am I going to keep teaching and just kind of work my way through Rowdy when I can or am I going to give him his full due? 
and dive headfirst into promoting and, and being an author, you know, written, I, I call it living a hashtag writer's life, right? <laughs> and so, um, you know, discussions with a family, we said, let's go for it. Because I didn't want to regret down the line, you know, five years, 10 years, two years later, having not pursued this dream. Um, because it's a dream that I've, I've had for a while. I've, I've wanted to stop, but, you know, got to be real. <laughs> you know, Absolutely, I, yeah. financially, sometimes it's just, it's, it, it's not as glamorous as kids might think it is. Um, you know, there's a lot of traveling. There's a lot of a lot of writing, a lot of work. And I'm not just an author. Now, now I'm the author. I'm the secretary. I'm the marketer. I'm the publisher. I'm the I'm the graphics designer. I'm the garbage man, and I'm the taxi driver. <laughs> so <laughs> there are lots that go into it, and not just me sitting behind a desk all day thinking of fun things to write. There's lots of other things that go on with that. But um, but I wouldn't have had the time to do that if I was still in the classroom and still focus enough on the kids in the classroom it just wouldn't have been a fair balance there wouldn't have been a balance and so we're, we're full-on promoting rowdy right now and getting getting that that out um you know writing book two um hoping to come out by springtime if i can get my act together that's the plan Great. Um, at least that's what i've been telling people so i better hold up to it can you give us any insight into book two book two so um yeah so you know book one was all about becoming a man learning to to make good decisions and latching onto the right people um book two it's so in book two it takes up let me back up a second so the the long and short of the whole rowdy series we'll call it is going to be three books novel size with two novellas popped in um one novella is going to take um, place of a time gap that you'll see in part one of of uh, wild and mean sharp and keen part two or pardon me novella two is a, is the time gap filler in between book one and book two but if you just read the prologue in the interludes in wild and mean sharp and keen it actually leads into that story so the story about robertson and rowdy going off on this hunting trip so um anyway so we pick up at book two when he comes back and something has happened at the ranch something devastating has happened at the ranch and it's rowdy's fire inside him now as, as he's grown up and been patient and made the good choices he's also a teenage kid you know 17 18 years old they get mad right they 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 want to have justice they want to get even no matter no matter you know really what your personality is if you if you've been wronged over and over and over again like enough is enough i i, I need a little redemption and so this this story takes him back to dodge city for for um We'll call it a confrontation of sorts. Don't but go, Rowdy. Don't, don't go. go. But but here's the thing. So the lesson he, he he the two lessons that are important for him to learn in this story is look before you leap. Don't jump into a situation before you have full knowledge of it. You know, wild and mean, sharp and keen actually means um, being able to outsmart your adversary. Um, if we get in a confrontation, often people just kind of fight or flight response, right? But if you can keep a level head, if you can think about what you need to do to, to um, succeed or to overcome the adversity or whatever it is you're facing, whether it's um, a personal adversity or somebody, you know, actually standing toe to toe with you, you've got to be, you have to have a cool level head. Well, in book two, looking before you leap is a big deal. Also, though, how precious life is, you know, he, he wants to go and honestly, he wants to go kill Patrick Byrne for the things that he's done. But who is he to, who is he to do that? You know, mm -hmm. that's just, that's murder, right? And that's not Rowdy. That's not his character. That's not what he grew up, you know, in shaping himself. He didn't grow up and then all of a sudden, you know, turn left and, oh, now I'm just going to kill a guy because he's done all these things to me. It's not the lessons we've taught him. And so him realizing how precious life is that people will be held accountable for their actions one way or the other. It's not up to you to decide who lives or dies because often 
living sometimes is more of a punishment than death. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a little bit, there's a lot of action right off the bat. It's going to continue all the way through. There's going to be new relationships he's going to make along the way, one of which is going to help him at the end because it's actually going to be left in a cliffhanger for book three, which rolls off from there in a different direction. And I'll let you just kind of stew over that one for now. Awesome. Well, I look forward to reading books two and three and the novellas yep. that are coming. So yep. hopefully spring 2021, we'll see book two of the Rowdy series. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming in today and sharing Rowdy with us. So guys, go grab your copies of Rowdy either wherever you are listening to this at a local bookstore, or if you're in Victoria, Texas, head on down to Texian Books to grab your copy. So thank you so much for coming in today, Chris and Evie. See you next time. See you next time, Kate. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Texian Review. 